Hello, everybody, and welcome to the What in the Script podcast, a show where we discuss media and the various ideas that strike our fancy. My name is Tony. His name is Tony. My name is Maddie. Her name's Maddie. My name's Cheyenne. Her name is Cheyenne, and my name is Benjamin. On this, our debut Halloween release episode, we're covering the time-honored horror classic, The Silence of the Lambs. Proud of yourself? Yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> this one's been I'm this one's of. been tumbling around in the old uh, noggin for forever. I've been waiting to use this one. Yeah, he's been real proud of it. <laughs> Irrationally proud of it, but I'm proud of it. Alrighty, everybody. So the first thing we're gonna say here is welcome. If you find us, congratulations! I'm super excited for you to be around here. Um, since this is our debut, our first try at this, it might be able to be a little, little rocky. It might be the funniest thing we've ever produced. Who knows? Um, Just a little bit of jank. <laughs> a little bit of jank. That's a treat. So before Perfect. we start, we want to make it clear that we understand that Silence of the Lambs has controversy surrounding it. And as members of a community that have troubles with this, we really want everybody to understand that that is a critical lens that is mm-hmm. valid to view this movie from. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it be, you know, the gay and lesbian community where homosexuality is only like a ploy in the movie to keep the, the plot moving forward to the transgender community. Basically, even though the movie says that it's not talking about transgender people, it's kind of associated with the bad guy. So we totally mm. understand that. We have talked about this for many hours on end, but we okay. decided that we're going to do this one. So we're going to talk about a few different ideas, mostly about the artistic view and the toxic love story that is actually ingrained in this script. Yes, yes. And get your AO3 tags ready. We're going all the way, baby. <laughs> Wait, let's go. What? Serial killers <clears throat> come Those dead doves. Make sure you don't eat them. Okay. <laughs> now, keep in mind, because this is audio, we can edit shit. So. I could be pissed right now, and we don't even care to. Are you still. Aw, oh, man. <laughs> Fuck. So. In terms of the art, do we just start with the art? Can I start with the art? Start with the art. Okay. When I've watched this, the I have seen this movie a handful of times, but what always strikes out to me is how artistically pleasing it is in a kind of dark way. Now it's a horror movie. I'm not saying I'm not condoning anything that the bad guy is doing. I'm not saying we should eat people. If you want to, that's your prerogative. Don't tell me about it. I don't want to know. Oh, but this is a bad time to tell you I kill people. Eat people. It's it's personally I'm gonna take the stance that cannibalism is not okay. Yeah. That's why I'm saying don't tell me about it. I think there's a moral and ethical conversation here. <laughs> But um, 
let's put it aside. It is um, a joke. It is a joke. Moving on. <laughs> so, as somebody who has worked within the horror industry for a decade this year, actually, I just turned 23, my parents started working at a haunted house when I was 11. At 13, I started helping volunteering, and then I got paid, and then blah, blah, blah. So here we are, right? Um, this movie is not built to scare you through jump scares or traditional, you know, gotcha moments. It's built on its premise, and it's built on the suspense of that premise. So, yeah, it's a little art filmy. I'm not gonna lie. It it does feel kind of indie here. It's it's more of a psychological horror than a like slasher flick where Michael Myers jumps out of the closet and stabs somebody, or a body that he did stab jumps out of the closet. If I remember that movie correctly, <clears throat> it's. Do that it's more about why are the characters doing what they're doing and how it can be shown artistically, I guess? A scene a scene that always brings that comes to my mind is when there it's a it is a courthouse or is it a jailhouse? It's a courthouse. It's a courthouse. Okay. After Hannibal Lecter has escaped, hides on top of the spoilers, obviously, hides on top of the elevator. No, whatever. Point is, the cops come in and one of their buddies is strung up in a way that mimics that of a angel, which to me is very appropriate in a way that's less of the subject matter and more of I don't know I guess a kind of like a god complex way of looking at it um yeah he's Hannibal Lecter has a superiority complex that's obvious in the way he presents himself in the way he has educated himself um He's a psychiatrist. He has a doctorate in, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I think it's like, I, I think it's a PhD in uh, psychology. Um, I, I know that the book gets more into detail, especially um, the first book, technically which is Red Dragon, really gets into who Hannibal Lecter is. I haven't read those books in years. We're just talking about the movie here. But this is a smart man. Um, and the only reason he got caught was an accident. Like, an, the accidents of accidents. So it's really... It's really hard to deny how smart he is and how godly he sees himself, which gives this movie this, like, artistic vision, right? Like, there's there's no way around this here. Everything Hannibal Lecter does is almost like a ballet. It's... Ooh, it really, yeah, it really is. It's contemporary, it's gritty, 
and it's downright disgusting once you know he's fucking eating people <laughs> it's, it's not you know but it's still it's not giving credence to the character setup if we don't remind ourselves just how smart and just how artful this guy is um which is really where I think Clarice kind of falls into all of this is everything that Hannibal Lecter does in the first act of the movie to taunt her, to run her around. These aren't wild goose chases just to, you know, um, pull punches here. He's, or not pull punches, but he's, he's not doing these things just to play with her. This isn't just a game. He really wants to see what she is. And who she is. Um, mm. And of course she only gets this opportunity because Miggs, the guy that is in the cell right next to Hannibal Lecter. Um, God, that scene was disgusting. I, like, I, don't, I don't really oh, I have about that. other words for this. He... Uh, he throws his load. Like, yeah. It just, yeah. It's all yeah. over he just does it. It's real nasty. It's... Um, the way it's framed in the movie it. yeah he literally throws it <laughs> so it's pretty you know it it is a moment where he wants to show her some sort of dignity after that mm-hmm. because he's kind of a gentleman <laughs> and he makes he makes mig swallow his own tongue <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean compared to the fucking uh company that uh, Clarice tends to keep. Yeah, he's a gentleman. I mean, like, Christ. Talk about terrible fucking luck. Which brings into a later subject we will be discussing about how the male gaze is applied in this film. Oh man, I it's got It's all thought. connected. Big yeah. time. Yeah. TV film. Tropes page. It's foreshadowing. Yeah, I got, I got thoughts about that, but hold on. Hold on. We, got, we gotta stay on topic here. <laughs> Um, I really want to pull attract or uh, attention to the attraction of angelic symbolism in this movie that is used not mm-hmm. only mm-hmm. by the villain, but is kind of you see it in how Clarice is framed through this whole movie. Like she is just blasted with white light. Like the stage lights are full bright on her face. To give this pure innocent look in like how she's framed, the makeup she's wearing, the close-ups on her face, like everything makes her angelic, which is then echoed by Hannibal Lecter, where he draws her as an angel holding a lamb, which you know ties into. Uh, her backstory where she tried to save a lamb but it was too heavy and it was raining and it's a whole nine it's another thing we could just talk about for two hours but I really want to focus on like she is the angel of this movie Mm -hmm. and there's a falsity in Hannibal Lecter showing her in this angelic form just to ten minutes later string up a guy by banners and disembowel him in this angelic form. 
Um, and it also kind of reminds me of a crucifixion. So it could yeah. also be read that way. Um, I... But she's like the Virgin Mary here. I would like to note, it's also the created concept of an angel, not the actual descriptions of angels in the Bible. It's the arms and like two arms, two legs and a head, not the six wings with a face in the middle, which to me is always fascinating just because like if you want to give get across like religious horror you'll use like that though to be fair not everyone knows that the actual descriptions of the angels are fucking nutty oh yeah it's wild it's kind of like i think it does the appropriate job of really communicating this is like otherworldly like Mm -hmm. i feel like they almost toned it down by like making the most common conceptions of angels be like yeah just humans with like you know wings and stuff and halos like no 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 no. get me into that fucked up several pairs of like floating eyes impossible to conceive terrible to look at look upon me and do not be afraid i can't you're (laughs) terrified (laughs) please please don't ask that of me i think that's really intentional though because I, I almost feel like all of the horror, all the disgusting parts that are happening can almost be those angelic creatures. Like our, our main character is is framed as like this Virgin Mary, this soft angel type that we see in like nativity sets, right? But everything else is just so monstrous around her. Like it is mind boggling how much this woman goes through. And how much trauma she holds from, like, a one-week investigation period. It's it's a little bonkers. I'm not going to lie. Um, and there's, it, there's one more scene with an angel that is really interested when it is uh, put side-by-side with Clarice. It's Buffalo Bill himself. So the infamous scene where he's in front of his his tripod, he's doing his dance, and he's wearing his, not fully formed, but he's getting their skin suit. Mm. He does, you know, a very sensual, very, very not sexual, but like, Almost like he's, he's afraid of the camera. Yeah, he's like he's like nervous about it, right? Yeah. Only to open up the scarf completely into this angelic form with the scarf rolling down like wings and you see, you know, the skin suit and you can see the edges of it. And he believes he is ascending. Like he believes he's so close to being this angelic figure. And... Cl- Clarice is, like, right behind him, the actual angel. So there's a really interesting foil there of, like, he's a false angel while she is this true angelic figure anointed by the quote-unquote god of the movie, which is Hannibal Lecter. And I think it's kind of cool. I think it's really artful. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. 
And this, is, this is also just a, an applause towards Anthony Anthony Hopkins. He's such a good fucking actor. I love him. Like, the, uh... I don't think I picked up the mic, but the, the weird, like, inhale sound he does... I well, that was that was improv, right? That was yeah. that wasn't like in the script. The 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 line with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Yeah, the noise he makes right after that is improv. Yeah. That's so good. Uh fun fact <clears throat> about Sir Anthony Hopkins, he's actually autistic. Yeah. Huh. You learned that like what like 2017 it was very recent very recent well it feels like it should be recent with the last two years of our i mean but... we're not going to talk about that <laughs> sorry uh, i'm just looking at his wikipedia page and he looks like a like a cute like very doting grandpa and the fact that this was the first real experience i had with him Dude, he is, i uh... just it doesn't track like I, right now look at his Wikipedia page and just look at this look at his gentle smile. He would like offer you some fucking Werther's originals. Uh, but in this movie, no. <laughs> he, Different. He has a TikTok. I fucking TikTok. his TikToks are so <laughs> good. TikTok? Yes. Like it they're so wholesome. It's like him playing piano or like reciting Shakespeare. Ah. Uh, it's so nice. Wonderful. After That's seeing it. multiple, like, just political bullshit, like people being dumb on the internet. There's, ah, it's Sir Anthony Hopkins. How nice. <laughs> Maddie, you haven't talked in a while. What's. I have not spoken in a while. But yeah, I more or less concur with everything that's been spoken here. I didn't look at, like, I, the art, the artisan nature in which. Um, the serial killings are done in Silence of the Lambs is very much an adamant part. I don't know if I have too much to add about this other than... Right, let us transition into yeah. our next analysis of Silence of the Lambs. Oh my god, the perfect uh, toxic No, Maddie! You spearheaded this perfect toxic love story. Well, in yeah. that case, let us go into the dead dove don't eat AO3 tag that is my subject for this week um, so for my dead dove don't eat topic in case you do not know that dead dove do not eat is a AO3 topic used to discern very potentially upsetting media or topics in media um, is the let's call it poetic relationship between uh Maurice and uh, blah, 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 I forgot the guy's name. It's really late. Clarice um, and, and Hannibal Lecter. And Hannibal Lecter, the star of the show. I somehow forgot that. So, right. So one of the more right, so I don't I don't want to infringe too much on Ben's topic on the male gaze. Oh, but these are, these are a bit into that, like you know, like throughout the whole of the film in general, Maurice is not. Uh, uh, fucking, uh, she's not treated uh, with the highest of respect from her male colleagues, Clarice. I, uh, my brain's not working. I know the, I know how to analyze this film. I just don't know how to like remember to name them. Bad with names. Point is, 
So Clarice is constantly downtrodden by her co-workers, be they those who work in her FBI field office that she is currently training for, or those who work in the West Virginia um, investigatory bureau that has uncovered the bodies that she's investigating and doing autopsies of, to those who work, I think it was in like New York or something, you know, the people that like show her the uh, moths and whatnot. Um, you know, the idea in general is that they don't really discern her as being a... I should not go too deep into this topic. This is Ben's topic. They, they mostly just give her, an, give her an eye and, oh, well, she's this pretty. And the irony of this is that the serial killer that she has to get information out of in order to help her catch Buffalo Bill is the only person at the end of the day who gives her credence and lends her to her intelligences, which is you know, an irony of itself, more so that the resultant relationship that is forged after uh, Clarice is sexually assaulted, well, harassed, assaulted, same difference, by one of the other inmates in Lecter's asylum, is that the relationship she directly fields with Lecter in their, well, I guess technically mutual search for um, Buffalo Bill is ironically the most respectful one in a really fucked up way, if that makes sense. Like, Lecter respects Clarice's drive for investigation and the methodology in which she does so, and how her brain operates, but also has a deep controlling level in the same way that Clarice has a fascination with how Lecter himself is able to get inside the minds of other serial killers. Um, this, this symbiosis is odd, obviously, because despite the fact that Lecter is, you know, a serial killer and in prison, he holds a substantial amount of power due to his background as a professional psychologist with a doctorate, and, you know, a serial killer who knows what it's like to engage in serial killing. So, this creates this power imbalance in which Clarice simultaneously holds the power of the FBI at her disposal and nominally at least the ability to potentially grant clemency to Lecter, but Lecter both recognizes the need for Clarice to get to the bottom of this case before the senator's daughter is killed and also has a genuine fascination on how her mind works. My point is yeah, so the di- that's the dynamic. Uh, a serial killer who knows about serial killing and is also deeply fascinated in the mentality and upbringing of this small Midwestern, well, Appalachian gal who is herself descended from, you know, a bit of a poverty's upbringing. That's not a word. <laughs> I need to breathe. Give me a second. Um, I, I think. Right, cut all that. Uh, let's. Hmm? Okay. Okay, cut all that. We're gonna go uh, from here. The dynamic is in part (laughs) used by Lecter's own information, with the amount of information that Lecter can get out of Clarice serving to a degree as leverage despite not practically having any. Clarice's, Clarice releasing information about her past and the trauma of growing up on a farm after her father's tragic death is not anything that intrinsically grants Lecter any power over her. He can't go to the FBI and have her position be stripped away or her assignment. Instead, 
It's merely a ploy within their... Fuck, cut all that. Uh, instead, it is merely a pawn within their larger intellectual discourse. Clarice being able to being able to have at the end of the day said she admitted to Hannibal Lecter her deepest traumas is a very high price to pay for the information she is searching for, and the fact that she is able to well, the fact that she is considering that in the first place to Lecter shows drive to him about how deeply she wants the case solved, even if at most she gets breadcrumbs or, at worst case, very misleading mm-hmm. information that actively leads to Lecter being shunned by the Tennessee senator who, for whom Buffalo Bill ha- has kidnapped her daughter of. That's not how that works. My point is more so that the nature of this relationship is open to interpretation and while some sequels have and literary progresses have sought to cement it as being intrinsically romantic I instead posit that the relationship serves as a oh yeah so the relationship between Clarice and Lecter to my mind at least generally comes across as one that supersedes even typical notions of romanticism instead being almost an obsession despite Lecter's obsession you know to the audience coming off as a lot being a lot more poignant because you know he's a serial killer so any obsession with the person that he's bound to have is you know a pretty fucked up but the fact that he is not in any way willing to go and engage in a serial killing of her represents a distinctive level of respect mm-hmm. that he does not hold for say some poor sod in a Tennessee courthouse that he ties up and to look like an angel. A, um, a respect that is seen as discussed earlier when he, oh, what the fuck is his name? Mix? Migs. Migs, yeah. When he makes Migs swallow his tongue in his sleep because he shot his load at, at her. You, well, yeah. You're uh, gonna, end, if you have it's, any it's, respect for women, you're gonna beat the shit out of that guy. But the well, fact that yeah. Lecter go to Satrix.com to convinced him to kill himself by a swallowing a tongue. That's enough of a respect that supersedes a lot of things. Oh, God. Yeah, that's my take. That I don't know if that's cohesive. I just like. Stream of consciousness, like oh, they they have a special relationship. I don't know if that's filming query. That is just what you I came up well. with on the spot based on what I've been thinking of. And I see that's well, well, you did very well. That's, I'm proud that's of you. That's the thing. That's the thing, though, okay. about this movie, right? Is if you took it out of context, take all the murder like take the murder away, take the FBI and the murder mysteries, and and just throw that out. Take Hannibal Lecter out of prison and just put them together in like a graduate college course where they're falling in love everything that happened (laughs) up and including like these puzzly bits where he sends her on like wild goose chases could be seen as romantic like uh what's the word uh courting it could be seen as that and i think that's where it's really difficult to watch this movie and not end up rooting for Hannibal Lecter because at least on my part there was a moment you know 
watch it a couple times before. I was, you know, maybe 16, 17 in it. It struck me that I cared more about Hannibal Lecter getting out of prison than I did the rest of the, the movie. I wanted him and Clar Clarice to interact more. I wanted them to keep this, this tension going. Because in every situation, it's never... I don't know, like, the, the power dynamics are never so one-sided that it's hard to watch. It goes back and forth depending on the situation. And, like, for example, the first time Clarice is there, um, Hannibal Lecter has all the power. And then she offers him the fake prison transfer, and all of a sudden all the power is in her hands and the movie even frames it this way like the first time he meets or she meets him he's standing up the time mm. when she brings the fake prison um the fake fake prison transfer records, records? no, no tra it's the transfer the records uh, are true they are a copy um she's standing up and he's sitting down and even more interesting, there is one shot in between where they're both sitting down eye to eye. So you see this, like, literal teeter-totter. And it's, it's hmm. hard not to like it, personally. Sorry, I, I... Sorry Shai, refresh my memory. Which scene is that? Where so, they're sitting eye to eye? when she comes back after she goes to the self-storage unit and finds the head of Benjamin Rapsiel... Um, uh, another she's... another good good scene, by the way. <laughs> uh huh. So he's sitting in the dark, right? And he's sitting on the floor. She's sitting in a chair. Right. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So it's literally all the power goes from Hannibal to she comes back to him, figuring out his games. They're sitting on even ground. To all of a sudden, she has all the power, and mm -hmm. uh. uh how could you write a better love story? You know what I mean? Like, these are the fundamental bones. It's a better love story than Twilight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm oh, God. I've been wanting to, wanting to say You can get into Twilight in the later episode. <laughs> yeah. At least there's no teenagers falling in love with 200-year-old adults. Or one. Which is a Teenager falling in, in love with a child. Oh, we're not talking about that movie. Oh, look, Star Wars Episode One. We're not talking about George that movie Lucas. either. Now. <laughs> um, I think, I think their relationship again harkens to this idea of like ballet. It's almost a dance, and in any erotic fiction. There has to be this slight sense of danger and this push-pull dynamic for these things to really work out. And a good example of this is Beauty and the Beast. And, you know, Belle is always in danger around the Beast. But she still stands her ground. She still has these moments of, like, immense power where she's literally belittling this giant beast over here. And all of a sudden, it's all on her. There's this vulnerability of this beast looking up to this tiny woman. And this movie 
is basically that. <laughs> um, up and including, you know, the end scene is really telling of how they're wrapping up the love story here, right? So Clarice catches Buffalo Bill, who we, we haven't even touched on yet. Wow. <laughs> We've been doing this for 40 minutes and we haven't even really touched the plot. And like how these things work out, which is yeah, so in case you haven't seen it, you should probably have seen Silence of the Lambs before seeing this podcast, because we have not been a good synopsis yeah, so um, far. Yeah, I think we were supposed to do that in the beginning, but that didn't happen. Oh so man, what if we did it now, though? Right in the middle? Do you remember enough of it? I, th- I think, I'll be honest, I think it's it'd be better just to say, hey, uh, please watch like the film ahead of time. I don't know, like, if you really want to do a snob, it's just like, I don't know, it's like, if somebody hasn't seen Silence of the Lambs, and, like, they listen to, like, 40 minutes of this, and then they, oh, like, you don't know what this movie's about, I, I don't know. There's something very discerning that, I don't know, husky. Yeah, I'm like a Wikipedia article right in front of me. This is this is train wreck. I love it. Please see this. Please see this. Please, see, please, see please watch movie before before before. Please watch the movie beforehand. Otherwise, you won't know who we're talking about, and you might as well think we're reading we're reading about our newest Ao3 fan or, fiction. Let's go based off memory. The last scene of this movie. Clarice is an FBI agent. You watch her get sworn in. They have this whole party. There's cake. Ooh, I love that cake. It looks really good, actually. <laughs> One of the better looking cakes. Oh, has the FBI logo yeah. on. One detail we were really excited about, the fact that it gets cut specifically movie? on the word justice. It does. The only justice. type of cake you see is it cuts the word justice. More specifically, it cuts the word justice into the word just. So, this is the framing for... The last scene of the movie, Clarice gets a phone call from Hannibal Lecter, who has escaped prison. He's now in, I think it's Haiti? Um, I think it's Bahamas or something. I think it's, it's definitely Caribbean. It's a Caribbean country. And Bimini. He, what? Uh, Bimini. 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 It's in the Bahamas. It's just like a very specific location. Oh. I believe you. Perfect. All right. So <laughs> Bimini. And he's calling to congratulate Clarice on her, um, you know, her graduation. Victory. And I want to point out that the only way he would have really known this information is he would have been counting down the days. Like, he called after the ceremony, knowing that she wouldn't be busy to congratulate her. Like, he, <laughs> he, we went through all these extra steps to just reintroduce how much he cares for her, her advancement, and her, her well-being. Especially when it's framed around this word, just. Like, how, 
how can we look at Hannibal Lecter and see that his freedom is considered just, even though, you know, the psychiatrist that runs the, the, the place, that, what is it called? The asylum? The or the state hospital? It's one of those things where he was held for eight years, is a creep. He's a fucking weirdo, just absolutely detestable. And cool, that guy's about to die. Mm. <laughs> and I'm kind of glad for it. You know what I mean? Like, it's literally framing. What oh, Shelton? Shelton, yeah. Just I love that. Like, that's kind of rad. Especially after you basically just watched a two hour love story between a serial killer who eats people and an FBI student. And yeah. I don't have a segue here. I just wanted to point out how <laughs> wild that is. Yeah, that's a good movie. Would it? Be, <laughs> I just thought, would it be a stretch to call it a buddy cop movie? <laughs> you know, in a in a fun in a fun uh, fun kind of way, yeah. Because like, it's not like they're together the entire movie, like normal buddy cop movies, but it's like. Hannibal Lecter helps solve the Buffalo Bill case. It's, I guess it's like you can have the same discourse about whether or not like Die Hard is a Christmas movie. It's set in Christmas. Buddy cop bism and this film. It's set in Christmas. You know, fuck, goddamn. I just almost got started on that goddamn. Uh, but yeah. That's the joy of that. uh, Hannibal Lecter and Clarice's relationship. Despite the fact that one of them is a serial killer. Um, you know, that itself is a dynamic. It's not a conventional dynamic. Usually you have the, you got the old conservative cop who's seen it all and doesn't think this will be the Black Dahlia yeah? and the young, get him, Glenn. Ooh, in this case, one of them's a serial killer. That's a killer. reference. He's killed more people than she'll probably, you know, yeah, the standard cop exactly. dynamic. Wow. Bad cop and serial killer cop. I actually get the Black Dahlia reference. Yeah, yeah I'm referring to Anyways, That's a first uh, for me. I usually, I very rarely get Maggie's references. <laughs> did, did you actually, yeah, yeah, Elena Noir is a great <laughs> game. Of, assuming you got that reference, yeah. That's anyways. not, well, the actual Black Dahlia case. Because the Black, oh no, yeah, the Black, well, in that video game, there's like a thing that happens, but yeah. Anyway. Also, spoilers for Elena Noir, a game that came out. So a speaking few years of ago. romance, romances relationships of like that kind that we're talking about romance are usually through man and woman men usually don't respect women very well which leads into our cons our what ben wanted to talk about how well the thing that ben wanted to talk about yeah so um i think big big note here for me um the first time i watched the silence of the lambs I actually kind of hated it and it was just sort of like granted you know all three of you were basically there and the question that kept coming up is like well why do you dislike it and I was like well actually Maddie wasn't there with Brandon I think oh shit was it everybody but Maddie yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, I was in the whole jail (laughs) um 
But my first impression was like, I didn't like this movie. And it wasn't until I was kind of like gently interrogated by everybody else that it came to realize, I don't hate this movie. I just hate all the men in this movie, or at least like 90% of them. So they kind of treat Clarice like trash. It's just like consistently. Like, I don't know if it's like some of her fellow FBI, what, what would they be, cadets? That it's like, she, she's a woman, so the, the, the prerogative for them is, well, I have to hit on her. Regardless of like, oh, we're like classmates, dude. Could you be like chill for one second? Um, there's Crawford, who, I don't know, his dynamic kind of parallels the dynamic between Clarice and Hannibal in a way where it's like, I mean, because these are both like older men compared to Clarice. But debatably, you could say that Drek Crawford just kind of uses her as a pawn that it's like, in a way, encapsulates how Clarice is framed as like a resource. She's like something to be used by a lot of the men throughout this film. And debatably, the most give and take she gets is from Lecter, who is like, oh no, I don't even want like this like prison transfer. I want to continue like. I will give you information if you tell me about your life. Because it's like time and time again, uh, Chilton, for instance, I think is probably, I think the first person we see really to like make a pass at her. I don't know if that tracks. I don't know if you guys remember an earlier instance. Um, a pass at her in a way that's like, overtly yeah um misogynistic yeah it's it's Shilton um but interestingly enough it's not the first interaction she has with a man in the movie in fact the setup for the the intro when they're playing the credits is Clarice running alone in the forest and there's shots where she looks like she's chasing after somebody but then also being chased herself and it it really does sum up this movie that Clarice is really alone and the only time that she gets interrupted during this running is a man comes to tell her that the um the director of the FBI cadet program uh, Jack Crawford wants to see her. So your first five minutes of the movie is literally set up with the majority of Clarice running this really hard obstacle course, by the way. We're not talking she's running on asphalt. She's running through hilly, mountainous forests and climbing ropes and stuff. And then it's only stopped by it's a man. Like a boot camp. And- uh, yeah, it's like a it's boot camp. A few steps, setup. a few steps off of being a boot camp uh, thing. Um, and then she has this conversation with Crawford in his office, where she's not exactly talked down to, but she's talked. It's almost like he's sweet on her, and yeah. this is brought up later in the movie by Hannibal. It can be read either as like a really objective take on how Crawford see her sees her, or a 
a way to really dig into Clarice, but it comes in a time in the movie when you could really read it either way. Um, but definitely Chilton, when she gets called to the state prison or the institution, she interrupts what Crawford is saying about Hannibal Lecter and like what he can do. It's basically, he's basically saying, Clarice, don't get this wrong. Hannibal Lecter is, and it's a sharp cut to Chilton calling him a monster, a psychopath, and the most interesting specimen he's caught alive. And then Clarice is talked down to like she's a child who doesn't understand any of this. And then he propagates her. He says, why don't I take you out on the town? <laughs> so, oh, God, I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. It's a terrible sequence. I remember thinking, like, oh, this is cringe. Um, I'd like to also point out that in the novelization that the film is based off, Crawford is dating slash sleeping with her, yes. correct? Like, that's like that's not a thing in this film, but in the original novelization, mm. yes. I wonder if that was on purpose, I, that it was taken out. I, I wouldn't so. be surprised, but you, know, you, you never know. Cause, well, because... Like, some movies take out, like, some movies take things out. If they're based on a book, they take out things to push a different story than what the book was trying to say. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure, absolutely. Like, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that was, like... I can't give any examples, but... <laughs> I think it's important to kind of condense this plot, right? Because there's... a lot going on in this story without uh, bringing in these more complex plot points because like in the book too like her her um clarice's best friend uh what's her name it's like veronica napinger i I think or or not something i don't i know that i can't read plays like a much larger role in the series but she's basically a sideline character which has its own implications because she's the only woman of color we see through the whole movie (laughs) who's seen in like four shots (laughs) oh yeah yeah which like as a side note i feel like the the people of color we encounter within this movie are like those who treat sort of Clarice the best. And I feel like there's just a lot to say there about like, hey, it's almost like people who have been like chronically downtrodden know that like, hey, you got to treat a person with like respect. Mm-hmm. Pretty nutty. And how like, and by contrast, a lot of the people within like positions of incredible privilege uh, kind of treat her like garbage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Insofar that, you know, you watch children really be creepy and gross towards her, get mad at her for saying that, hey, maybe you should hang back, maybe I should talk to him alone so we really get good information, um, and then storm off just for her to turn around to one of the workers at this institution named Barney, who is also 
respected by Hannibal Lecter, like emphatically. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the only side characters that is by name pointed out by Hannibal Lecter. Um, looks at her, says, it's nice, to, or she turns around and says, my name's Clarice, I'm going in, and he says, nice to meet you. And that's pretty much it. He's like, you can hang up your coat here, and you know the rules, right? And, like, that's it. He doesn't look at her too long, he doesn't interact with her in a weird way, he doesn't almost touch her, there's no weird smiles, like, it is a human interaction. <laughs> Which we haven't seen in this whole movie so far. It's a show of basic fucking human fucking decency. We stand by it. Honestly. Big. Big stan. Yeah, he's a, he's a pretty good dinosaur. <laughs> um, and this, this, like, this conversation about race is not touched on a lot in this movie, but it is interesting as she's walking down the cells towards Hannibal Lecter. There are four cells down here that we get to see. The first one is a white guy who um, basically catcalls her. The second is a black man who's just sitting there, looks at her and goes back to what he's doing. And then it's Ming's who famously says, and I quote, I can smell your cunt. Great. And then it's Hannibal Lecter. And I think this just, it's just, again, rolling with this idea that these white men have so much power, so much superiority in these positions, even as they're behind bars in a basement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this movie really wants these interactions to note that. It, this movie isn't about race, nor does it really talk about the racial implications of a lot of things here, but it does want to say that white people have this power and have this power to be able to control women, which then leads right into the romance with Hannibal Lecter. Kind of cool. It's really cool put together. You know, a lot of this movie is very intentional. Which, uh, uh, only Shy is gonna get this one. But, uh, big shout outs to Andrew. Andrew, if you somehow found us, uh, thank you. Your cultural yeah. analysis of, uh, The Silence of the Lambs will live forever in my heart. Yeah, so there's, um, there's, uh, this, so I was looking up literature for this because I, I wanted to know about some of these different themes that really don't get touched on a lot when talking about this piece of media because it gets really wound up in itself, you know, between the horror and the male gaze and the the strange relationship it has with the LGBT community. I wanted to see some of these other themes talked about, and one of them, which I'm not going to get into, but it is interesting, like, go find this. There is a thesis paper written by somebody named Andrew Almquist, which basically breaks down the silence of the lambs or his masters in the arts. And one of the pieces that he talks about is this 
ideology of transformation, which is seen in all of the Americana and American iconography seen throughout the movie, starting with the FBI and ending with the shot where Buffalo Bill is killed, the last shot in his house is of a World War II helmet and an American flag. And there's a bunch of different things all in between. So that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Andrew. Shout out to Andrew. That will be in the description on Facebook. And if I guess the show notes or whatever the fuck Spotify has, if this goes up on Spotify. I mean, it's going on YouTube, so it's going to go into the down below. It'll be linked. Yeah. It's it's public domain. Or not public domain, but it's a public record. It's really it's cool. A, what is it? It's a article or is it a video? It's, a, it's an article. It's a... Okay. 66 page dissertation. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Shout out to Andrew. I read I read it start to finish and I, I never was bored. I never felt like this was slog. It was well written and some of the ideas I never even thought about. So. Yeah. So, do we want to talk about the like queer aspect of it? Oh, we can touch on that. I feel like we have to, right? We opened we like basically open the show with it, right? Yeah. I mean, does anybody want to open? Because, I mean, I got thoughts, but... I think... I don't know. You didn't really open a topic, so I guess you could open this one. Cool. Um, yeah. So this movie straddles a very sensitive line and this movie came out in 1996 so this line was even more sensitive it was in kind of the middle of the AIDS epidemic it's that timeline is really hard to pin down especially for different you know cities because different Mm -hmm. times meant different outbursts but in Chicago I know for sure that like 93 to 96 is really like the big time, but it, it had been around since like 88, 89, and it really didn't end until the late 90s, and end is not even a good word for it, it was just not even it's, public it's still view. Around. Yeah. Um, shout out to what we're dealing with right now. Uh, <laughs> same same, same fucking bigger, thing. Bigger, bigger, uh, you know. Just not thing institutionally oppressive yes so this movie has a few queer characters or at least characters that are talked about to maybe be queer not exactly i'm gonna get into it here so the first person that we talk about in this movie is named benjamin raspail and benjamin raspail is one of buffalo bill's first victims but he is not a victim because he's a woman. He's a victim because he was actually um, Buffalo Bill, James Gum. That's Buffalo Bill's actual name. He was James' partner. And he said, you know, he was a patient of Hannibal Lecter before he was caught as a serial killer because he was a psychiatrist, right? He said to Hannibal Lecter, I'm really concerned about my partner. There's something wrong. 
we don't really get a lot of background in the movie about this, but <laughs> it's important to mention that Benjamin Raspail was exploring his identity because he had major de- or uh, he had major depressive disorder. Let's see, he's like a garden variety manic depressive. Manic depressive. I I promise you, I'm getting a degree in psychology. We we don't talk about that. Um. So. <laughs> <laughs> I just finished my abnormal psychology course, and apparently, I learned nothing. But let's let's go. That's how it goes sometimes. Um, anyway. <laughs> so, after missing three appointments, Hannibal, in I guess, a a moment of like concern for his patient, goes to see what happens with Benjamin, um, and he finds him beheaded. He's dead, you know. And Benjamin in... Hannibal Lecter puts his head into a jar of formaldehyde and hides him in his storage locker. And the problem with this is that Benjamin has makeup on. And you can tell he's got pink lipstick and he's got fake eyelashes on and it's obvious that whatever presentation was feminine the movie brings this up clarice asks was he and this is kind of a dated term but this is what the movie uses is transsexual and hannibal lecter says no that he's a garden variety manic depressive so this is hard to discuss because on one part this movie is all about transformation it's all about finding your identity it's all about you know what is that romance tied to identity you know we've we've talked we've gotten down our list right we went through that it's a really artistic film that it has this perfect toxic love story that should not be idolized but is romantic we've talked about the male gaze in little tidbits and that male gaze never leaves the movie not even up until the end shot where Clarice is getting congratulated by uh, Jack Crawford he's very touchy with her and of course in the book they're you know kind of dating they're kind of sleeping together but in this movie it feels too personal it's there's obviously a lot of talk about gender and sexuality. No matter no matter how you want to see this movie, it is a woman's plight in a man's world. So what does Benjamin being dressed up as a woman say? He can say one of two things. He was he was trans and he was working through his his own identity, his own transformation, which is possible, or it's taking the piss out of trans people, especially because Buffalo Bill is, again, a man skinning women to create a skin suit for him to wear. I'd actually like to interject on a different theory, on a third way. 
so contrarize, contrarize, uh, Buffalo, a lot of Buffalo Bill's character is his hatred for everything that previously or, you know, contemporarily made him him. Hence why the transformation and the whole thing. So you could make the case that that murder could be in, influenced to some degree on that care and the, on that individual's own transgressive gender identity or presentation crossing into Buffalo Bill's own uh like I guess let's say territory of sorts with Buffalo with Bill's own terrible self-hatred driving such you know cruelties as making a whole skin suit from his murder victims uh to escape his own identity perhaps seeing somebody else in a similar state only only drove him into a terrible murderous rage. That is entirely theoretical. I just thought of that on the spot. Uh, that's an interesting take. Like, no, no, no. I like that. It definitely, you know, makes sense within the narrative of the story. Um, I also, again, Almquist literature says that America's belief in that you can be whoever you want to be in the society has led to Jane Gum being let down. He has, in the words of the movie, sustained a lot of systematic abuse. So what he is, who he wants to be, isn't actually, you know, supported. So he goes to these extremes, and what was seen as an extreme in the 90s was the queer community, you know, mm-hmm. especially with the AIDS ex- epidemic. Like, they were in, in the public eye for the first time in a way that it wasn't just like a couple sly comments here and there. You know what I mean? Like everybody knew they existed, but nobody wanted to talk to them. Like this was the first time it was publicized that this kind of lifestyle, this community existed. Um, Which I think is another, you know, really interesting take, especially, you know, Maddie, you brought up that, Maybe he did see Benjamin. We don't have another name for Benjamin. If if this is a dead name, this is terrible. But uh, there's no, we don't know. So we're 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 rolling with what we have. If Benjamin was truly transitioning, yeah, I can definitely see that. Like, you can't you can't be put down by society, and then all of a sudden you Mm. see somebody who's like you that you're attracted to start being everything you want to be without, you know, I, I, how dare you? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's almost like the audacity of it all. Yeah. The jealousy of it all. That, like, that can turn into such a, a deep personal darkness. Yeah. It definitely can definitely be read like that. I like that read. That's a cool read. I like that read. Yeah. And it even talks about how, you know, Jane Gum applied to multiple different gender-affirming surgery, yeah, surgical clinics. Yeah. And was rejected by all of them because all of significant people. trauma and personal abuse, um, which is never really, you know, extrapolated. But I'm guessing we could read it as, yeah, this person's problem is not 
their gender. It's not their identity in this sense. It's they need some serious help in some other places. They're extremely mentally ill. Mm-hmm. Which is like true. He's literally making a skin suit out of women. Yeah. Like, I'm not like nobody can deny that James Gum needs help. No. It has to be said. The wanting to present differently, that is not the part. Anyone that's anyone that is listening to this and thinks that 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 is the part of the mental illness, no. Being trans is not inherently a mental illness. The fact that he wanted to present as a woman is not a mental illness. The actual skinning and killing of people, that is the part that makes him mentally ill. Yeah, for sure. Like, this, everything we're talking about has got nothing to do with his gender identity as he wants to change it. It's got to do with everything else. And that's why I say, you know, like, you can't really get away from this conversation when you're talking about Silence of the Lambs, even though, you know, we said in the beginning that we're going to view it through a different lens. You, this movie is about the plight of women. No matter how else you word it, this, these are the struggles seen in society. And it's not all the struggles granted. And it's also from a white person's view. Let's, you know, let's not beat around that bush either. There's, I can count the the, the people of color on my my left hand here. You know what I mean? Like. Your left hand that nobody can see. Yeah. Uh, Nobody can see it. I got rings on them. Shai does have all her fingers, by the way. (laughs) I do. As far as you know, weatherboard. Canonically. Yeah, I do have all my fingers, folks. I I I have ten toes, ten fingers, as of the date of recording. But who knows? Maybe that'll change tomorrow. I hope not. I, I that suck. I uh. I hope none of us lose our digits or limbs. Right. I kind of rely on my hands. Um. I kind of need it. I am an artist. <laughs> I rely on these things. Um, but Hopefully I'm not an artist, so I don't... I can lose my left hand. I'm okay with it. I, I need my right one, though. It'll make, Screw all it'll of make, you. It'll make typing a bitch, but I can still do it. I can see where people of the queer community, specifically the gay community and the transgender community, feel slighted by this movie. Um, I think, mm-hmm. especially given the time that it was made in and everything that was going on, maybe it does feel a little insensitive. Maybe it does feel like it's missing its mark. However, well, when was the book written? Good question. I'll look that up right now. Um, it's a shocker. However, I feel like the movie goes to great lengths to deny that these things are what it is, you know. When Benjamin Rapsiel's book Fresh comes up, Clarice asks, is he? And Hannibal says, absolutely not. And when it comes up again with, with Buffalo Bill, is he? 
And again, it's absolutely not. Um, in fact, there's a line where where Hannibal says that his Jane Gums pathology is much more severe and what what is it? Um, it's not maniacal, but like it's more dangerous. It it's dangerous and severe. I think that's what it is. Which is true. What's happening there is is terrifying. And your gender and sexuality are not terrifying ordeals. Except when society wants you to not exist. But that is a whole other question oh, or yeah. conversation. You know what I mean? So yeah. Uh, the book. And when you got to figure that shit the, out on your own. The book was originally published May 19th, 1988. Wow. Which would have been... At the beginning of the epidemic? Yeah, a beginning ish. I don't. I should know this. I don't. I'm terrible with years anyway. Yeah, I'm. History major! <laughs> uh, no, the AIDS epidemic started in the early 80s. It was a major oh. aspect of Reagan's presidency because the CDC was basically heavily politicized during that yeah. period huh. and was coerced away from doing genuine research as AIDS and HIV were thought at the time to be uh, only caught by either black Americans or yeah. queer ones. So it would have been released, like, published and written, like, in the middle of it. Yeah. I don't... It takes a while to write books, but I don't, probably didn't take Thomas Harris six years to write it. Although I don't know. Well, he might have had the idea in his head, but getting to writing certain things can take a lot of, you know. Um, especially because... Red Dragon was in 81. Yeah, so. remember, Silence of the Lambs is the second book. It might be the first movie, because it is the least restrictive in its plot. You know, it's it's got a very beginning, middle, and end to it. Something musical? <laughs> what? Huh? What? I'm on the Wikipedia page, and there's a musical. In 2005, oh. comedian musician John L. Kaplan parodied the story, especially the film, in Silence, the musical. Huh. Oh, parody oh. musical. Yeah. Interesting. That's really early Off 2000s. topic, but interesting. Maybe we'll, well, do, topic, maybe we'll do a video yeah. about that one. A spiritual uh, sequel. Please don't make me watch a musical. Um, so... I mean, really, to wrap it up, it's important to to remember Red Dragon was written in 81. Silence of the Lambs was written during, you know, the AIDS epidemic really getting its role in the 80s. Like, this was an active, it was an active response to what was going on, mm -hmm. which, you know, Read in some of the takes that we've been here was probably actually positive towards the LGBT community, but you can't do that. You know what I mean? Like you, you can't have your book published saying gay rights, trans rights in the eighties. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, and you especially can't because it's not the eighties anymore. 
Well, yeah, definitely. It's been <laughs> years. Can't uh, wait that. Go get old. Speaking of, this movie is almost 30 years old, which is, you know, great. It's actually oh, older don't than... Oh, don't make me feel old. Please. It, it's... You weren't alive when it The movie's older the, than all of us. That means I'm 10 years younger than it. No. That's not true. <laughs> that's not how that works. Um, <laughs> it's midnight. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. Um... Unless anybody else has some things to say, I really like Silence of the Lambs. I think that there's a lot to talk about here. Nothing is unintentional yeah. in this movie. This movie won me over. It's a good movie. There was something that I did think about. I don't remember how the scene worked, but after the scene where you see the cops strung up like an angel, it would have been interesting to do a match cut straight to Buffalo Bills in that same pose. I think the but movie... But that would have been like too on the, on the nose. And it would be a complete tone shift, so... Yeah, I think the movie doesn't want you to consider the falsity of idols right away. Because we haven't even seen our angelic figure rise to her, her power yet. Like, mm. Clarice's ultimate, you know, she's going through a hero's journey, really, you know, if you want to get down to the brass tacks, but her killing it basically um I guess, I almost said Hitler Hector, Hannibal fuck, that's also wrong Lecter is basically the mentor well, he's also, you know, in the book it's, it's more you can see it more, but in this movie, he's basically coded as something worse than a vampire, but he's basically a vampire. You know what I mean? Like, he can smell. I guess. He sees in the dark. He likes blood. You know. He likes what? He's Welsh. He's real white. Welsh? Yeah, Hopkins is, is Welsh. He's from Wales. Mm-hmm. But that's, he got blue eyes. That's not Dracula. Well, he's got red eyes in the book. I'm not fucking being Dracula lore. Oh my god. Dracula, yes, is from the Transylvania region of Romania. I meant to say vampire lore, but I said Dracula lore. There's a VTuber that I watched that that calls vampires Draculas. It's very funny. Um Yeah. Anyway. There you know, there's a very there's there is a kinda horror fictional feel to this here that the movie I think skirts around really well Um, Mm -hmm. personally I think you can read that he's some superhuman but you don't have to read it that way either he's just whack he's just whack that's that's all it is um yeah yeah it's a good uh, in summary it's a good movie um a lot of stuff like what did we talk about today i talked about the artistic side of it mm-hmm. Wait, we talked about i spoke about how albert's no nope, right, actual answer no, actual answer that joke okay oh, are we actually gonna do that? i had a, I, I i spoke about how uh their relationship is pretty interesting despite 
Actually, you know what? I'm not going to say despite the movie it said him because the movie itself would not warrant it not being interesting. Their relationship is pretty neat. It's pretty cool. I don't know if that's deep dive analysis. It's a summary. It is it's a like summary. You're good. A very crust-based summary, but yeah, it's pretty nice. Also, that other theory about uh, the person that Bill killed being emblematic of Bill's own impositional projection of his uh, interest of self-hatred mm -hmm. and transgressive cross-dressing as a means to evade his own identity because of that sheer level of self-hatred um, potentially being cause for him to be doing some crimes. Yes, yeah, I'm gonna... uh, you can cut that. And now, Ben, you spoke on? Yeah, um, I spoke on basically uh, a little bit of Clarice's role as a woman in this movie in the way that uh, a lot of the men she encounters are misogynistic sans, you know, the literal serial killer. And how the guy we're supposed to not like, the, <laughs> yeah. we're not supposed to like him, as well as the the few people that do treat Clarice well are all just you know people of color or people without systemic power. Shy, you spoke on, and I spoke about the gays. <laughs> hey, and whatever little tidbits I could find. Uh, yeah. I did I did the filling. Y'all did the crust, I did the filling. We got a piece of Yeah. Fun. We all did the filling. Crust is most okay. important. This it's your first time doing the filling, Charlie. I don't know if I'm gonna cut that. Anyway Well you know what they say. That's this showbiz, has baby. Been the What in the script podcast. I have been Tony. He has been Tony. I have been Maddie. She has been. That sounds like a skit. <laughs> she has been Maddie. I have been Cheyenne. She has been Cheyenne, and I have been Benjamin. We will see you guys the next time.